Amen. Well, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. We're in Matthew chapter 23 this morning, and uh, verses 1 through 39. Our message series is called Jesus in Jerusalem. We're looking at the final week of Jesus' life in Jerusalem before he went to the cross. And uh, we've seen that there's been increasing conflict, right, between Jesus and the religious leaders uh, during this time. And, and now that conflict is really going to reach a crescendo uh, with Jesus' scathing denunciation, there's no other way you can put it, of the religious leaders in today's passage. And, you know, if they didn't want to kill Jesus before he spoke these words, they certainly did afterwards, okay? So it's a long passage. We're going to do the whole chapter this morning, verses 1 through 39. I'm not going to read the whole passage right now. I'm just going to read verses 13 through 15 for us as we begin. Matthew 21, beginning at verse 13, the words of our Lord Jesus. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. This is the word of God. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, just in reading those verses, we know that we are up against a challenging and difficult passage this morning. And so, Lord, we always need your help, but we especially ask your help today. Lord Jesus, these are your words. Holy Spirit, you inspired uh, Matthew to record these words for us accurately. And now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak these words into our hearts. They're hard ones for us to accept. Help us to understand. Help us to learn. Uh, help us to receive your word this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many ways to go to hell. But the saddest way, perhaps, is by way of church. Some people go to hell because they don't believe in God. That's sad. Some people go to hell because they believe in a false God. That is also sad. But to go to church with God's people, to sit under the preaching of God's word, to hear the gospel proclaimed week after week and still never give your life to Jesus, that has got to be the saddest way of all. Jesus has a word, he has a description for people who go to hell by way of church and that word is hypocrite. It's a word you're going to hear a lot in our passage today. The religious leaders of Jesus' day were, by and large, hypocrites. And Jesus exposes their hypocrisy in a series of seven woes that he pronounces upon the teachers of the law and the Pharisees in our chapter this morning. There is an outline in your worship, God. I know I always encourage you to take it out I really encourage you to take it out today because 
This is a long passage, and I don't want you to get lost in your way through it, and this will help you to really track uh, the Word of God as we present the message this morning. Jesus begins by addressing the issue of hypocrisy. He's speaking to the crowds. He's speaking to his disciples. I imagine some of the religious leaders are mixed into the crowd as well. And he warns them about the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. And he tells us several things about the religious leaders here. And it refers not just to them, but to anyone who practices hypocrisy. First, he tells us, he says, you know what? Do what they say, but not what they do. Right? Do what they say, but not what they do. Look at verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and they put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they were responsible for teaching and interpreting the law, the law of Moses. Where did the law of Moses come from? It came from God. And so Jesus tells the people, you've got to do the things they tell you, right? At least as far as they are correctly teaching and interpreting the law. When they're teaching you God's word accurately, do that. Do what they say, but don't do what they do. Because they don't practice what they preach. In other words, they were hypocrites. They taught the law, but they did not practice the law. Or when they did practice it, they practiced their own legalistic version of it with all sorts of man-made rules and traditions. They made things harder for the people. And they weren't even willing to help out. They were indifferent towards the people. They didn't really care for the people under their care. They didn't really care about all the burdens they had to bear. How different from Jesus. Jesus who took all of our sins and all of our burdens upon himself at the cross. That's the first thing Jesus says about the religious leaders' hypocrisy. He says, do what they say. Don't do what they do. And then secondly, he warns the people. He says, everything the religious leaders do, he says, it's just for other people to see. It's all for others to see. Look at verses 5 through 7. It says, everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. So a couple things to unpack here. These phylacteries, these were scripture boxes. They were these small leather boxes. Well, they're supposed to be small. Okay, These small leather boxes uh, containing various scripture passages. And So it'd be sort of like walking around with maybe some memory verses. We're going to be doing some Bible memory. You might want to do this yourself. You write out in a three-by-five card, right? And you carry it around in your pocket or your purse. So similar to that, just carrying scripture around with you. But what did the Pharisees do? They made their phylacteries wide. It wasn't a small thing. They wanted everybody to see it. It would be like you or I saying, yeah, I'll do my memory verse, but forget those three-by-five cards. I'm going poster board, okay? And I'm going to write it up in big letters on that. I'm just going to walk around everywhere so everybody can see my memory verse. That was the Pharisees. And then he says, you know, they made their tassels on their garments long. Well, these tassels were actually commanded in Scripture. 
You're supposed, supposed to just put some little fringes on the, the end of your garment as a, a reminder of God's commandments. When you saw that, it's like, oh yes, God's commandments. I need to obey God's commandments. But they like to make theirs long for everyone to see them. They love the place of honor at the banquets. They like the most important seats. And they loved it when people would come up to them in the public places and say, oh, rabbi, oh, rabbi. You know what the word rabbi means? Literally, it translates to this. Oh, my, my great one. My great one. So it'd be like if, uh, if I instructed you, when you see me in Publix, okay? Okay, or you, know, you see me in Publix or, or Whole, Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, when you see me, I want you to come up and say, oh, my great teacher. Okay, oh, my great one, my great teacher. Sounds kind of nice. No, no, you see, you can't do that, right? Basically, they were show-offs. They were attention grabbers. And this was part of their hypocrisy. Instead of serving God and other people quietly, everything they did was for other people to see. And then finally, in this first section, Jesus equates hypocrisy with pride. Ever thought about that? Hypocrisy is basically pride on display. And he urges us to choose humility instead. Look at verses 8 through 12. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi, my great one, okay? For you have only one master, and you're all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. And nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher with a capital T, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, don't seek to be called by titles that will make you feel superior to other people. We've only got one rabbi, only one truly great one, right? And he is our Lord God. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all equal to each other. We have one father, and he's in heaven. That doesn't mean you can't call your dad father. Okay, he's your earthly father. But we have one true father, our father in heaven. We have one teacher with a capital T. He is Christ. Now, it's okay, like I say, call your dad father. It's okay to say, I'm a pastor, or I teach Sunday schools. Nothing against that, okay? God has appointed pastors and teachers in the church, but we always must remember we are all equal before God and we are not to claim any title of personal superiority over other people. The pastor or teacher in the church only has authority so far as they are accurately teaching and presenting the word of God. When they depart from God's word, they lose their authority. Jesus says, don't act deserving, rather lead by serving. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That concludes our first section where Jesus addresses in more general terms the whole issue of hypocrisy. Now he's going to get specific, okay? He's like, rats, we don't like it when God gets specific, right? Next, Jesus pronounces seven woes upon the religious leaders. And I'll warn you up front, these are some of the harshest words of Jesus recorded for us in Scripture. Six times Jesus calls them hypocrites. Five times he calls them blind. And along the way, he also calls them fools, snakes, serpents, and sons of hell. And you might say, well, we're not used to hearing Jesus talk to people that way. 
But of course we weren't used to Jesus turning over the tables in the temple either, right? Or, or cursing the fig tree. Maybe Jesus does these things more often than we thought. It is interesting, however, to note that Jesus never addressed the common people this way. He never addressed the sinners who knew they were sinners this way. He always addressed them with compassion. No, Jesus reserved his harshest words for the religious leaders and those who practiced hypocrisy. So what are these seven woes? We've got all seven of them on that outline for you. Let's walk through them together. And as we do, remember, we don't want to be thinking so much about the Pharisees back then. It's always easy to pick on other people. But are we falling into any of these same traps, right? Are these areas that we need to shore up in our lives? So, woe number one. In the first woe, Jesus says they are guilty of keeping others out of heaven. This is the sin of false teaching. Look at verse 13. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. In other words, the Pharisees did not teach the truth about God or Christ. Not only that, but they added all sorts of human requirements to the law. And you know what? It's bad enough to miss out on heaven ourselves. But to keep other people away as well, that's an even greater sin. We should never make it hard for someone to become a Christian. It's not hard. It's so simple. We simply put our faith in Jesus who died for us. There's an old joke about a person who tried to join a certain church uh, but kept getting turned down for membership. Kept, kept trying, and each time he said, nope, you can't be a member here. And finally went home and prayed about it, and Jesus answered him. And Jesus said, don't worry about it. I've been trying to get into that church for the last 20 years myself. <laughs> don't worry about it. That's the first woe, the sin of false teaching. In the second woe, Jesus says they are guilty of misdirected zeal. This is the sin of false conversions, which follows after false teaching, right? We'll look at verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. And so the Pharisees had plenty of zeal. That wasn't their problem, right? Plenty of zeal, but it was misdirected zeal. They worked hard to make converts, but they weren't making converts to God. They were making converts to themselves. They were making converts to their way of thinking, to all of their man-made requirements. And as a result, their converts ended up worse off than when they started. Misdirected zeal. Galatians 4.18 says, It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. And that was the Pharisees' problem misdirected zeal which resulted in false conversions then in his third woe Jesus says they are guilty of putting material things before God material things before God this is the sin of irreverence this is the sin of lacking that true fear or reverence for who God is 
Look at verses 16 through 22 now. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, then he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say this, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Little background here. The Pharisees were famous for playing around with the rules and finding ways to get around the law. And here Jesus addresses their approach to oaths and sacrifices. They were counting the material things, like the gold or the gift and the altar. They were counting those as more important than the temple or altar themselves. They failed to realize that it was the temple that made the gold sacred. They failed to realize it was the altar that made the gift sacred. Basically, what they failed to realize is that God is involved in everything. You cannot avoid God in anything that you do. You cannot say, here's my life for me, and here's what I give to God. No, it's all his. He owns it all. And so you need to have a fear and a reverence of God. They didn't realize God is involved in everything, and therefore all of their oaths, all of their oaths were meaningful before God. Jesus calls them blind guides. When I was a youth pastor, I once led our teenagers on a blindfolded hike up a mountain trail. And uh, we brought them off into pairs, and, and so one would wear the blindfold, and, they would have to, and the, the other person would have to lead them up the trail. And to make sure that they didn't do any shenanigans, like lead them into boulders or off the cliff and stuff. You know, they knew they were going to have to switch part way up. And, you know, and so the other one was going to get a chance. But it was still a scary experience for the blindfolded person. You know, you, know, you just can't see where you're going. And you, know, you watch out for that rock. Oh, you've know, got to step up here. But can you imagine if they were both blindfolded? We have an expression for that, don't we? The blind leading the blind. And that's what Jesus says about the Pharisees. He says they are blind guides. They're blindfolded. They're guilty of putting material things before God. Woe number four. Jesus says they are guilty of practicing legalism instead of love. Legalism instead of love. This is the sin of a wrong focus. Look at verses 23 and 24 with me now. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. 
You see, the Pharisees, they majored on the minors and they minored on the majors. They were meticulous in their tithing, but they neglected the more important matters of the law. Jesus says you should have done both. Jesus pictures them carefully weighing out their herbs and spices, you know, counting each one out, making sure they got exactly one-tenth. Got to do this just right. But you see, it's not about weighing your herbs. It's about weighing your heart. It's about weighing your heart before God. We learned earlier in the Gospel of Matthew that love is the fulfillment of the law, right? Well, the Pharisees are guilty of practicing legalism instead of love. Okay, four woes down, three to go. You still with me? Here we go, woe number five. Jesus says they are guilty of cleaning the outside only. This is the sin of concern for appearances. Look at verses 25 and 26. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. You see, the Pharisees were very concerned with ritual cleanness and ceremonial washings. But Jesus says all of these things are useless if you are not clean yourself on the inside. He's not talking about cups. He's talking about us here, isn't he? You see, the Pharisees were concerned with appearances. But who you are on the inside is who you really are. And that's the person God sees. God sees the heart. That leads us to the sixth woe, where Jesus says they are guilty of harboring sin. This is the sin of neglecting the heart. Verses 27 and 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, in the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Once again, a little background is in order here. Each year before Passover, and remember, this is all taking place right during Passover week, right? Each year before Passover, the people of Jerusalem would go out in advance and they would whitewash all of the tombs. They'd go out wherever there were tombs or graveyards, they would whitewash all the tombs. And this was to protect the pilgrims, the travelers who would be coming into the city who might not be familiar where everything was. It might be taking a shortcut because if, if a pilgrim or a traveler came and touched a tomb or, or if they sat down and leaned up against it, that would make them ceremonial unclean. It would mean they could not participate in the Passover. They might have traveled days to get there and they would miss out. So Jesus says, that's what you Pharisees are like. You're like those whitewashed tombs. You're all clean and sparkly on the outside. But inside you are like dead men's bones. So you can see this woe, number six, it's the flip side of the previous one, number five, right? Woe number five, the Pharisees were concerned with what? Outside appearances. Here in woe number six, they are neglectful of the heart. And finally, in woe number seven, Jesus says they are guilty of rejecting God's 
messengers. This is the sin of persecution. Look at verses 29 through 32. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and you decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding and shedding the blood of the prophets. So, says Jesus, you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You see, this is yet another example of hypocrisy and pride. They thought that they were better. They thought if we lived back then, we wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't have persecuted the prophets. They believed that they would not have rejected the earlier prophets, but here they are rejecting Jesus. You know, it's very similar to how some people even today say, you know what, if I'd lived back then, you know, I would have been on Jesus' side, right? I would have stood by him. I wouldn't have run away like those disciples. I would never have been out in the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him. And we hear Jesus' words, and there's a little warning there. Don't be so sure about that. Jesus continues in verses 33 through 36. Oh, oh, let's get into it. Here we go. You snakes, <laughs> you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. Sounds just like the book of Acts, doesn't it? We saw this happen later on. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. And so the Pharisees, they boasted about the past, but they rejected God's messengers in the present. Look at their track record. They rejected John the Baptist when he came, right? Right now, they're rejecting Jesus. And then they would reject those who came after Jesus, those who would preach Jesus after his death and resurrection. Jesus speaks about Abel and Zechariah. You know Abel, Cain and Abel. Abel was the very first martyr uh, in human history. We read about him in Genesis 4. Zechariah was the last martyr in the Old Testament. And so from Abel to Zechariah, from the first martyr to the last, from A to Z and everything in between, Jesus says, you are responsible for all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth. You might say, well, how could they be responsible for all of it? Because of this, they will crucify the Messiah. They will crucify the Son of God, the righteous one, who is sent to be our Savior. And so Jesus pronounces all of these seven woes upon the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Think about it. To be guilty of just one of those would be bad enough, right? But to be guilty of all seven? It is no wonder Jesus spoke so harshly to the religious leaders. But then in our final verses, our third section, we get a, another insight that helps us to understand how Jesus spoke these words. What was in Jesus' heart? Because we come now to verses 37 to 39 where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. 
Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. You know, the seven woes we've just looked at, those contain some of the harshest words of Jesus ever recorded. Jesus' lament over Jerusalem contains some of the most tender words of Jesus ever recorded. And the two are connected. This closing lament shows that as Jesus spoke all of these woes against the Pharisees, he did it with a tone of compassion and with a longing for their repentance. So look at verses 37 through 39 with me now. Jesus closes out this chapter by saying, Oh, Jerusalem! Jerusalem! You who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there are a couple of things I want us to learn from Jesus' lament over Jerusalem. The first one is this, God longs to save. You want to know the heart of God? God longs to save. You can hear the depth of Jesus' emotions, even as he repeats the words, Jerusalem. It's almost like he breaks down, he has to sit again, Jerusalem. He says, oh, I've just longed to gather you together. There's that beautiful image of the, the mother hen gathering the chicks under the wings. Oh, I've longed to gather you. It's not, it's not that God wasn't willing. It's not that Jesus wasn't willing. The people were not willing. They were not willing. We read from Ezekiel chapter 33 earlier in the service, verse 11. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn! Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? O house of Israel. So that's the first thing we learn from Jesus' lament. God longs to save. God loves you. He longs to save you. Are you willing? Are you willing to come to him? And then the second thing we learn is that judgment is coming. Exodus 34 verse 7 tells us this, God will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And we see this when Jesus tells the people of Jerusalem, he says, look, your house is left to you desolate. Jesus is looking 40 years into the future. He is making a prophecy here that will be fulfilled. Jesus knew that Jerusalem would be attacked and destroyed in the year 70 AD. He knew that the people would suffer greatly. Jesus is about to suffer at the cross himself. He's about to go to the cross. He's just a day or two away. It's right there. And yet here he is more concerned about the sufferings that the people of Jerusalem will suffer 40 years hence than his own sufferings, which were right before him. And finally, Jesus says, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You might remember that was what the people called to Jesus as he came into Jerusalem. They were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But now he's talking about his return. Christ will die, he will rise again, he will ascend to heaven, he will return to earth. Christ is returning, that is actually the theme of our next two chapters. That's what we're going to be looking at in the months of March and April during the Lenten season, the second coming of Christ. 
When Christ returns, everyone will acknowledge that he is Lord. Not everyone will be saved, but everyone will acknowledge. Everyone will say, yes, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are the Messiah. But sadly for many, it will be too late. Jesus' lament over Jerusalem shows us that despite all of the woes that Jesus pronounced for sin, God still longs to save us. It's that's, that's why he pronounces the woes. So that we would turn from our sin. Judgment is coming. And therefore we must respond now. It is so clear that Jesus spoke all of these words, all of these warnings with great sorrow in his heart. And as Christians, we should never speak about judgment or hell without tears in our hearts, if not in our eyes. There are many ways to go to hell, but perhaps the saddest is by way of church. Too many people go to church, they say and do all the right things, but their heart is not right with God. Jesus says they will fall under the same judgment of hypocrisy as the religious leaders of Jesus' day. There are many ways to go to hell. There's only one way to go to heaven. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. Jesus is the only way to heaven. He is the only way back to God. And so you are here, right? You are here. You are in church this morning. Those of you online, you are joining us in church this morning. But I hope you understand by now that church is no guarantee of heaven. Please, please do not go to hell by way of church. Put your faith in Jesus today. Let us pray. Well, dear Lord, we, uh, we struggle to hear these words. They're, they're difficult words. Our, our hearts kind of fight back against them. And yet, Lord, we've seen this morning that you delivered these words with compassion, with a longing for our salvation, with a longing for our repentance. It's a warning with tears in your heart and in your, in your eyes. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never trusted you as Savior, if there's anyone listening online who's never trusted you as Savior, Lord, I pray that they would do that right now, right here, today. Once again, it's so simple. The Pharisees made it hard for people, but it's so simple. We simply say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I know I've sinned. I know I've broken your laws. I'm so sorry. Will you forgive my sins? Dear God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus came and he died for my sins on the cross so that I could be saved. Lord Jesus, will you forgive my sins? I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to serve you. Come into my heart and make me a new person, I pray. In Jesus' name. 
And if you pray that prayer this morning, God will come into your life through his Holy Spirit and you will become a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Everything becomes new. You will be forgiven of all your sins. You will be washed clean. And you will be on the road to heaven. That's God's amazing grace to you and me this morning. Thank you, God, for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name.